Hello, hello to you, our listeners from all over the world. Hello once again. And as we say in Japan, konnichiwa. Welcome to this, the March 31st, 2020 episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. We're coming to you on WGPL, WPCE, and WBXB on your radio here in Southern Virginia or in Northern North Carolina. You can also hear us on the internet at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. Marriage and Family Clinic is your vehicle to help break down, discuss, and gain insight into relationship dynamics. We hope to help you identify yourself and your motives in your relationships and thereby offer you information, insight, resources, strategy, even inspiration to help you repair, enhance, grow, and perfect your marriage and family relationships. We're here for you. Welcome once again. Well, we're into another week of restricted social contact due to the coronavirus epidemic or pandemic, excuse me. It does not appear that this thing has any desire to slow its course anytime soon. So I want to encourage everyone to continue to limit your contact with others. Keep up your good hygiene. Only go out when it's necessary. Don't congregate in large groups. And if you experience any symptoms whatsoever, if you experience any symptoms whatsoever, please go and get yourself checked out. Don't be a hero. Don't be in denial thinking that it won't affect you. This thing is popping up in the most unexpected places. So get yourself taken care of and continue to look out for yourself. And I really, really hope that people are taking this thing seriously. Because once a person develops symptoms, once the symptoms do show up, uh, this virus has already been passed to Lord knows how many others. And oftentimes the virus exists in a person, the person remains asymptomatic, meaning they don't show any symptoms. And again, you can have this thing in you and not show any symptoms while you're congregating or communicating and in close contact with others. So be extremely careful. Be extremely careful. Uh, this thing, this virus is something that people discounted a couple of weeks ago as not so serious, but it has taken on a life of its own. And that's why I don't understand. And certainly I do not condone irresponsible behaviors for some. For example, it's pretty irresponsible to me anyhow, uh, that the president of Liberty University would reopen that school uh, and make it necessary for students to return to school and to classes. So here you have a few thousand young people coming from all over the country and many parts of the world gathering together in tight spaces. Sounds like a recipe for disaster as far as the coronavirus is concerned. And, and I don't mean to go off on a tangent here, but in this time, when all levels of government, all medical care providers and all people with good sense agree that social distancing, distancing goes a long way to reducing the impact of the coronavirus, it just doesn't make much sense whatsoever to reopen a university and bring thousands of students back to this place, back to this school, bring these students to the city of Lynchburg, the state of Virginia and Lord knows who else or where else they come from and where they're going when they leave there, placing all of these factors, all of these people at unnecessary risk. Again, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but the bottom line is we all need to think about others and act responsibly to help protect everyone.
There's just too much uncertainty for anything else. And even if you're a people of faith, if you're a person of faith, faith is one thing, but presumption is another. And we saw this weekend the pastor down in Florida, the pastor of the megachurch being arrested uh, for violating the local ordinance, preventing, uh, prohibiting large gatherings. And he opened up his church service anyhow and brought all those thousands and thousands of people together. You know what? It's not faith. It's presumption. You're presuming that when you violate the law and just do what you want to do, that God is going to to join you and protect you no matter what you're doing. Listen, God does not respond to things that just make no sense whatsoever. And bringing those thousands and thousands of people together for a church service, that's not faith. That was presumption, you know, and, 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 and I just want to put that out there. Let's all act responsibly in these days. And before I get onto the subject, I can't leave this without doing one more thing. And that is offering my deep, deep, sincerest thanks and gratitude, my deep heartfelt appreciation to all of those on the front lines of this thing, to all the medical care providers and law enforcement, firefighters, first responders, even our military men and women all over the world. Thanks to every one of you for doing what it is you do. Even to restaurateurs, restaurant owners, managers, restaurant employees who are serving meals in this epidemic. Thanks to you two. Uh, what you're doing is important. And I know some of you are continuing to work in those restaurants because it's either come to work or lose your job and then suffer economic devastation. So you choose to come to work, placing yourself at risk. I pray God keeps you, preserves you, protects you and just and just keeps you safe in this uh, pandemic times. Uh, so thanks so very much to all of you. Now, let's get back to the subject for today. Uh, as we stated last week, sibling rivalry, that's our subject for today. And this is part two of the series we began last week on relationship dynamic uh, that affects and sometimes infects nearly every family that has more than one child. And that's sibling rivalry. You've heard of it. And as we stated last week, sibling rivalry describes the inherent contest that exists between brothers and sisters for power and influence in the family. And it can carry on throughout life. This contest is inherent. It's an automatic happening and there's not much you can do to stop it. Several things you can do to minimize it, several things you can do to mitigate it, but just not much you can do to stop sibling rivalry. And if there's a family with more than one child in it, now I'll just tell you what I said last week. It's safe to say that that family is familiar with sibling rivalry to some degree or another. It begins at birth, continues through adulthood into old age. Money and social status can immunize a family against it. You can't go live up in the hills and uh, in survival mode and protect yourself against it. Uh, civil rival sibling rivalry is just a natural part of family life. And it's inherent. I'm saying that for about the third time now. Sibling rivalry is an inherent part of family life. It's naturally built into families. Uh, so because it's inherent, 
we ought to ask ourselves the question, what is the basis of sibling rivalry? What's it all about? Uh, uh, where does it get its power? What's the motivation? What, what's, what's the underlying factor to sibling rivalry? What's really behind it? That's the question of the day. And I want to deal with that question uh, on today's broadcast. And and hopefully we can answer some of that question or open it up a little bit more by uh, offering a few illustrations here. I want to deal with one illustration in particular to help us get a better understanding and comprehension of uh, sibling rivalry. Check this out. When this coronavirus pandemic sprung to life, we, we began seeing things that we never expected we would see. We did not ex expect to see things that we are seeing. Who would have ever thought that there would be a situation that would cause a run on toilet paper? We don't have a run on banks. We, we don't have a run on the stock market. Uh, the grocery stores are still pretty well stocked with food and other items. Your cleaning supplies are gone. Some meats are gone, but you won't find a roll of toilet paper anywhere. Yes, toilet paper has become the hot must-have item as we deal with this social distancing and, and shops and stores closing and restricting movement. Uh, everybody is after toilet paper. Uh, we've seen people fighting over toilet paper, and I don't mean just words. I mean up in each other's faces, throwing punches over toilet paper. Uh, uh, we want to lay claim to toilet paper. And as the supply of toilet paper grew smaller, people's behavior became more erratic and more irrational. I'm going somewhere now. Stick with me. Toilet paper became a basic need that people just could not see themselves doing without. Notice I didn't say that people just could not do without. I said people just could not see themselves doing without toilet paper. It was if a basic need, the basic needs for survival were air and water, food and toilet paper. Seems like toilet paper has risen to the level of importance that's equal to water and air. Again, here's the deal. The lower the supply went, the more erratic and irrational people's behavior became, even including violence. The shorter the supply of a resource, the more erratic and irrational the behavior becomes in the effort to secure that resource for oneself. Let me say that again. The shorter the supply of a resource, the more erratic and irrational the behavior becomes in the effort to secure that resource for oneself. Well, what does this have to do with sibling rivalry? Here's what it has to do with it. When it comes to sibling rivalry, the resource is the parent's love affection, attention, approval, and validation. You get the idea. And an and only child, an only child is free to lap it all up for himself or herself. There is a seeming unending supply of mom's love, dad's affection, mom and dad's attention, mom and dad's approval, and whatever else the child gets from mom and dad. 
There's an unending supply when the child is an only child. However, as soon as a newborn comes into the picture, the older child automatically starts to imagine the resources that used to belong solely to him will now have to be divided. The resources that used to belong solely to him, mom's dad, dad's uh, mom's love, dad's care and affection, mom's validation and security that used to belong solely to him. Here comes a newborn and now he's going to have to divide it and it's going to have to be shared. That automatically means less for him. And now automatically enters the competition. Last week I told you that my brother who is about five years older than I am took a switch to me as I was a newborn home from the hospital in just a few days. He imagined that the parental resources would have would have to be shared, be divided, and that meant less for him. Automatically he went into survival mode. And a person in survival mode may do nearly anything to obtain the resources that they imagine are in short supply. Do you hear me continuing to stress imagine? And so I want to get this here. Uh, just like the toilet paper in the coronavirus pandemic is in short supply and that motivates erratic and irrational behavior in people. Likewise, to a child, when they imagine that love from mom and dad, affection from mom and dad, attention or approval from mom and dad is in short supply, they're going into survival mode and they're going to engage in erratic, sporadic and irrational behavior to try and secure it for themselves. All right. Now, if you've been in any psychology class, one or two of them, you've no doubt heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a theory about how must have needs motivate us. We have these needs that we imagine, we see them, we experience them to be must have. We must satisfy these needs and that motivates our behavior. These needs are inherent in us. We're born with them and satisfying these needs because they're inherent. Satisfying these needs is instinctive. Something takes over. These needs are must have and the very first needs are the basic needs. And that is, we've already said, air, food, water, housing. Those are very basic essentials to life. Well, where sibling rivalry is concerned, there is the need for the parent's love, the parent's attention, the parent's affection. We already said it, the parent's validation, the parent's time, all of that. This is, this is an instinctive need to a child. And like Maslow's needs, these needs are basic to a child's growth. And when the child, when he or she imagines that these things will be in short supply, when he or she imagines that they're not going to have these needs met, 
or when he or she imagines that they're going to have to share uh, uh, the supply and, and they're going to have to divide the supply. Remember, the shorter the supply, the more erratic and the more irrational behavior come, become. So as the child imagines a supply of mom and dad's love, affection, and attention growing shorter, the child instinctively acts out in various ways in order to get those needs met. A few moments ago, I said that behavior becomes erratic and irrational when the child imagine, imagines the parental resources will be in short supply. The child may regress and start acting much younger than they really are. The child may be five, six or seven or eight years old, whatever. But then the newborn comes home from the hospital. The older child watches as mom dotes on the newborn and answers the newborn's call immediately. The child watches as every time the newborn cries, every time he moans, mom runs to catch the newborn and to take care of the newborn. The child, the older child watches dad comes home from work and immediately goes to see how the newborn is doing. The child watches mom and dad devote more time, devote more attention to the newborn than to her. And mom and dad, even when they go out of the home to church or to a party or to any gathering, they even boast about the experience of having a newborn. The older child watches all this. He or she is too young, too emotionally, and too emotionally immature to understand that the little baby could not survive without this type of attention from mom and dad, especially mom. So the older child interprets the care that mom gives to the newborn as care that mom is taken away from him. The older child instinctively goes into survival mode because he imagines his resources are running short. The older child may have a number of reactions and behaviors. He may figure that acting responsibly and helping with the newborn is a way to impress his parents and thereby he can earn their praise. He can earn their attention. He can earn their approval and their validation and thus secure his parental resources that he imagined he was going to have to share. Or on the other hand, the child may become disobedient, throw tantrums, start sucking his thumb again, even wet the bed, and, and he may even conveniently forget how to do things for himself and a host of other inappropriate behaviors. The older child has been dressing himself for a couple of years now. But as he watches his supply of parental love become shorter, or as he imagines his supply of parental love becoming shorter, all of a sudden, he forgets how to tie his shoes. All of a sudden, if he forgets how to brush his teeth, if he forgets how to care for himself. He's regressing in his behavior, trying to pull back, trying to secure those parental love resources back to himself and unfortunately unfortunately there's going to be those few times when an older child will actually do physical harm to a younger sibling folks this is the dynamic called sibling rivalry 
It's not new, as I've already stated multiple times. It's an inherent part of family relationships. You can see this dynamic in the very first siblings on the earth, Cain and Abel. There was something about the gift that Abel offered to God that made Cain imagine that he would not enjoy as much of God's love, affection, and attention as before. There was something about it. And unfortunately, Cain began to see Abel as an enemy and ended up killing his brother Abel. And then says to God, am I my brother's keeper? This dynamic runs throughout the Bible. Who can forget Jacob and Esau? Who can forget Jacob and Esau? Whose sibling rivalry was egged on by their mother and father. We're going to get to that in a week or so, maybe next week. We're going to do this again. And then there's Joseph and his brothers. And I tell you, sibling rivalry in the Bible is the stuff that Hollywood movies are made of. You can make the best movies. Who can forget Joseph and his brothers? Joseph had 11 brothers who imagined that their father Jacob loved Joseph more than the 11. And they all plotted and conspired together. To kill Joseph, one brother steps up, stop them from killing Joseph, but they all joined together and decided we'll sell our brother into slavery. I told you when siblings imagine that parental love and approval and affection and validation, attention, when parental resources are growing shorter, it motivates erratic unexpected and irrational behavior from the other siblings. It's totally erratic, totally irrational for 11 brothers to sell one youngest brother into slavery. Have you noticed that I keep saying the child imagines their resources running short or imagine that the parents will run out of leave, uh, love, excuse me, I keep using the word imagine because that's where all this turmoil takes place. It takes place in their imagination. Again, the child is not emotionally mature enough to understand that the younger the sibling is, the more attention, the more time that that sibling is going to need from mom and dad. The sibling is too emotionally immature to understand that a parent can love more than one child at a time. But because of that emotional immaturity and because one meaning of child is to be totally self-centered, because of those factors coming together, the child imagines that the supply of parental love is growing shorter. And normally, adding a sibling does not mean that mom and dad are ready to replace the older sibling or that mom and dad don't have as much love for the old, older sibling as they used to. Again, this all takes place in the older siblings or maybe even the young siblings' imagination. They imagine a shortage in the parental supply, the parental love supply, so they act out to make sure they get what they believe to be their fair share. 
and it's definitely in their eyes not fair that they have to pursue it. They feel like they are owed it. Now, even though the child imagines the problem, and the problem is usually not real, the emotions that come along with sibling rivalry are very, very real. Ladies and gentlemen, believe you me, the emotions that come along with sibling rivalry are very, very real. Those emotions are so real that they begin to shape the child's soul, shape the child's mind, and this shaping lasts into adulthood. And as I stated already, children are just too emotionally immature to handle the, the, the onslaught, the roar, the rush of emotions that goes along with imagining your parents losing love for you. Can you imagine that? Here's a child. Mom and dad are taking care of a newborn. A mom and dad are giving more attention to a younger sibling. The older sibling is emotionally immature and can't deal with it. And the only way they can make sense of it is to imagine that mom and dad don't love them as much as they used to. To imagine that mom and dad are losing love for him or her. I have to mention this. I have to talk about this emotional element of it because uh, uh, if, if you don't handle this right, if this is not handled right, the family can experience some serious turmoil. The siblings may even become mortal enemies, mortal enemies. And there are any number of families who would testify to you, any number of parents who would testify that I just turned my back for a moment and little Johnny knocked little Billy upside the head. I turned my back for a moment and little Sally cut little Mary's hair. I just left the room for a brief moment. And when I came back, something totally unexpected had happened and it's the result of sibling rivalry it's the result of sibling rivalry folks if you don't get a handle on it it could get out of hand it could get out of uh, uh, out of control and it could manifest in some serious pain some tragedy and and if I sound like I'm being melodramatic here if I sound like I'm blowing this up well maybe if I blow it up really big then somebody will at least pay attention to it and consider it to be an issue, even if they don't see it as being as big an issue as I'm describing. At least they'll pay attention to it, give it some attention, give it the attention that it deserves and prevent some further harm from coming to the family. Listen, when these emotions are dealt with in childhood or if these emotions are not dealt with in childhood, They'll follow a child into his teen years. They're still with that teen. And these emotions, when not dealt with in teen years, will follow the teen into adulthood. And these emotions, when not dealt with in adulthood, will show up in adult relationships. And that's why we see adult siblings still competing with each other. Who's going to take care of mom and dad? Who does the most? Who loves mom and dad the, the uh, uh, most? They're competing with each other. And at some point, they're going to let it blurt out. Mom loved you more than me. Dad cared about you more than me. 
And that's been the source of their competition and the hostility between them for Lord knows how many years. They imagined that they ran short on parental love. You would be surprised to know the vast number of adults who are still angry at their parents because they imagine the parents favoring another sibling. And they will allow parents to take it to their grave before they get it right. And they will allow sometimes each other to go to the grave before they get it right. Get it right. Deal with it before it becomes the mountain that you cannot climb. Take care of it while it's a molehill. Sibling rivalry is a real deal. It doesn't have to be the end of all. It doesn't have to tear a family apart. It doesn't have to be something that causes siblings to become mortal enemies. It doesn't have to be all of that. I don't want you to think that sibling rivalry is something that you can't overcome, can't deal with, you must be afraid of or anything like that. What I do want is for you to seriously consider the very real possibility that your siblings, your children as siblings are going to have to deal with sibling rivalry and it's up to you to mitigate it. Hey, listen, I'm about out of time today talking about sibling rivalry. We're going to come back to it on next week. So please join us again. Please join us again as we come back to the issue of sibling rivalry. You can hear us on WGPL, WPCE, and WBXB on your radio here in Southern Virginia and Northern North Carolina. Find us on the internet at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. We want to hear from you. Hey, listen, to all of you who listen to me, catch these podcasts from all over the world. Let me know that you hear me. Email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Let me know if I'm wasting your time. Let me know if you got anything out of this, if this was beneficial. Just contact me and let me know what's going on. And to you who are listening from all over the world, several countries and many states in the United States of America, I really appreciate you dialing in. Hey, I'm out of time and got to get out of here. But remember, you can't have peace without surrendering your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. I'm out.